these 150 chapters are uh, actually 150 songs or hymns. Uh, they were written by songwriters, different songwriters, to be used in corporate worship uh, in the nation of Israel. And so you need to keep that in mind as you read them. And even though they are 150 different songs or hymns, there are some themes that tie all of these songs together. And I think Dr. Easley gets at it well when he writes, God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. So Dr. Easley says that's the, that's the theme of the Psalms or the themes of the Psalms that... No matter what's going on in our life, we should praise God and we should trust God. And we see that repeated, reiterated over and over and over and over and over again. John Piper uh, writes, the Psalms are songs. They are poems. They are written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. Our emotions are massively important. Uh, probably the reason that the Psalms are so well-loved is because we resonate with the different emotions we find in the Psalms. I mean, you name an emotion, you, you can find it probably somewhere in the pages of the Psalms. And we see psalmists in different life situations, different circumstances, different things going on, different emotions, and yet they're, they're bringing their life before the Lord and placing their life at His feet in praise and worship and trusting Him with whatever life brings their direction. So these uh, 150 hymns, songs, are wonderful. And we've made it to Psalm 102, which is about help and hope. Help and hope. So we're going to talk about what it means to ask God for help and what it means to have a proper perspective of hope when you're going through difficult things. So let's look at it together. Psalm 102. Notice here, the writer gives a little bit of information before the song starts to let us know the intention behind the writing of this psalm. It says, A prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. So this is a good psalm to read, to sing, to meditate on when you find yourself going through something difficult. When you feel like you're about to faint and, and, and you're going through something hard. This is a good psalm to help frame that, um, that situation in your life. So look there with me, Psalm 102, verse 1. The Bible says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and is withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I'm like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord. And all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up 
Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. That he looked down from his holy height from heaven, the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners set free those who were doomed to die. That they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise. When peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh my God, I said, take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you lay the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away, but you are the same and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Wonderful, wonderful psalm. And, and again, we see at the beginning, this is a song to be used when someone feels afflicted or beaten down by life. It's a, it's a good way to process what they're going through and to call out to God for His help. Now, there's some scholarly conjecture about this psalm. What's the situation the psalmist is referring to? And if you look at the, the, the immediate context of the psalm, it seems that this is probably a time in Israel's history when they are in captivity. Uh, you know that the nation of Israel rebelled against the Lord. They divided into a northern and southern kingdom. Both kingdoms rebelled against the Lord, and God allowed the northern kingdom to be taken into Assyria into captivity. They came and destroyed the northern kingdom and took many of the northern uh, kingdom residents to Assyria as slaves. And then Babylon was used by God as an, as an instrument of judgment to destroy the southern kingdom. Uh, Judah and Benjamin, and they overthrew Jerusalem and surrounding areas. They took many of the Jews back to Babylon, uh, thousands of them, as slaves. And so this was a devastating time in uh, Israel's history, a, a devastating time for God's people. They're in captivity. And, and notice here, the psalmist mentions um, enemies. He mentions he's got some physical maladies going on. But yet he's talking about God rebuilding Zion. Scholars believe that probably this is at a time in, in uh, Jewish history when the captivity was about to come to an end. And God was going to bring his people back to Jerusalem and back to Judah and allow them to rebuild the temple. You can read about the rebuilding of the temple in the book of Ezra and the rebuilding of the walls in the book of Nehemiah as God graciously allowed the Jews to come back to their homeland and have a brand new start. So that's probably, if you think you have hardships in your life, think about this psalmist. Probably uh, snatched from uh, his homeland. He's in captivity. He's a slave. He's far from anything that uh, is uh, familiar and he longs for his home. He's surrounded by people who are ungodly. And he, and he wants to see God do a work to rebuild uh, Zion, to rebuild Jerusalem. And so that situation uh, can be applied to all of us because we all find ourselves going through difficult things sometimes. This is a prayer that we can pray uh, to help us when we feel beaten down by life. So two things I want you to see that we see in this psalm. Number one, in this psalm, we see passionate prayer. Passionate prayer. 
Verse 1, hear my, what's the word there? Hear my what? Prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. Two major exclamations from these first two verses. Number one, hear me. Verse one, hear my prayer. He asked the Lord to incline, to turn his ear to hear his prayer. And so the psalmist begins by saying, I'm in a tough situation. Hear me. God, would you hear me? I need you to to come to my rescue, and I need you to hear me when I pray. And by the way, isn't it good news that God hears us when we pray? Remarkable reality, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And the second exclamation is, help me. Verse 2, do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. God, I need your help. Don't turn your face from me. Help me. Come to my rescue. And so the psalmist here is dealing with a very difficult situation. You can continue to read in verses 3. Uh, through 11, and you can see a little bit about what the psalmist is going through. He has some enemies. He's dealing with physical ailments and, and, and hardship, and so he's crying out, hear me and help me. Passionate prayer. And may I suggest, when you are beaten down by life, passionate prayer is the first place you ought to go. The first place you ought to go. He- hear me, help me. I mean, it's important to maybe update your you know, social media status and say, I'm having a rotten day. You can do that if you want to do that. And, and, and you, can, you can call up maybe a friend or a family member, and you can lament about how your day is going, or you can just be uh, grumpy or depressed and, 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 uh, and, and just beaten down uh, by, by the things in your life, and everybody's wondering what's wrong with you. But, but, but may I suggest that the first thing you do the first thing you do when you find yourself in difficult situations is, is pray. Go to God. He's there. The Bible says over in 1 Peter chapter 5 that we are to cast our cares upon Him. Why? It says because He cares for us. Now, now think about this for a moment. If you're a believer in Christ, listen to me. God is just sitting there waiting for you to bring your cares to Him. Isn't that amazing? He's just waiting for you to cast your cares upon him. And, and uh, like the old hymn that says, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Right? I mean, there's peace, there is a wholeness of heart and, and soul that we miss out on because we don't go to God in prayer. So the psalmist here is, is, is modeling for us. Here's what you do when you're about to faint. Here's what you do when you are afflicted, you need to call out to God. Hear me. Help me. But there's a second thing in the psalm we see. Not only passionate prayer, but a proper perspective. In the midst of great hardship, as we see the psalmist's words, we're reminded that the psalmist maintains a proper perspective, a big picture perspective. And keeping a proper perspective in the midst of hardship can really help you to keep on keeping on. It's so, hard, it's so easy to lose sight of some big picture realities when you're struggling. And the psalmist here is, is almost like he's reminding himself as he talks to God. He's reminding himself of some of these big picture realities. Let me just give these to you. I think there's what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight, eight big picture perspectives that you need to maintain when you find yourself going through 
hardship. Here's perspective number one. You ready? My earthly life is temporary. He is eternal. My earthly life is temporary. He is eternal. Notice what it says there in verse 3. For my days pass away like smoke. How quick. I was grilling some hamburgers this past week. You grill and smoke comes off the grill. How quick does that smoke just dissipate and just just fade away, right? Very quickly. The psalmist here says, my life is like smoke. Uh, it, it, just, it just passes away. Look what the psalmist says in verse 11. My days are like an evening shadow. How long does the shadow last? Not very long, right? The sun keeps moving and the shadow goes away. I wither away like grass. I mean, grass is uh, alive, but when it gets too hot or too cold, what is the, the grass? His life to that uh, verse 23, uh, he, he has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my day, saying the Lord, it, it seems the Lord is, is bringing my life to, a, to an end, that, that my days are being shortened, and I don't have long left on this earth. So the psalmist here feels the, the, the transitory nature of life. James says the same thing over in the book of James in the New Testament. He says, life is like a vapor. You know what I think about when I think of that verse? I think about... A, a cold morning, uh, and you go outside, and, and you breathe, and vapor comes out of your mouth. How quick does that? It just goes away just, just that quick, right? It just, just it fades away just that quick. And James says, that's what life is like. It, it's just that quick. And so we need to understand that life is temporary, and, and if that was the only thing I had to share with you tonight, that would feel really, really depressing, right? I mean, if all I had to say was, hey, life's short, that'd be depressing, I mean, let's be honest. We're a day closer to our death than we were yesterday. That'll bless you, won't it? In fact, we are all, listen to this, we are all hurtling to our appointment with death. We're going fast. Life's short. You say, well, wait, that's not very good news. But notice the second part of that phrase. Life is short, it's temporary, but he, God's eternal. God's eternal. So we can trust Him in this life and the life to come. Look what he says in verse 11. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, notice the contrast. You, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. Then in verse uh, 23, he's broken my strength in mid-course. He's shortened my days. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose years endure throughout all generations. So life uh, being so temporary can seem daunting until we remember that our God's eternal. And He's got it all in His hands. He's got this life in His hands. He's got our eternity in His hands. And even though life is short, we can trust the one who never had a beginning and will never have an ending. God is in control. He is eternal. We can trust Him even with our short lives. Because he sees the big perspective. And so when we, when we find ourselves dealing with hardship, yes, life is short, but God is eternal. He, we can trust him. Amen? Amen? Secondly, the psalmist, in effect, makes this statement. I am lonely, but he is there. When you find yourself going through hardship, remember... Yes, I may feel lonely, but, but God is there. Look what it says in Psalm 102, verse 4. Psalm 102, verse 4. My heart is struck down 
like grass and is withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. So he's, he's dealing here maybe with some, some hunger, some starvation, some malnutrition. I don't know. I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I'm like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. A lonely sparrow on the housetop. That'll cheer you up, won't it? It's how the psalmist felt. Feel like there's no one I can turn to. I feel like I'm lonely, abandoned, and, and I feel that. And I want you to understand that you and I are all prone to loneliness. Did you know you can be in a room surrounded by folks and still be lonely? Did you know that? You really can. And there may be some here tonight. There's people all around you, right? Drinking coffee, you know, talking, checking their phones, and, and yet you feel lonely. Maybe because of circumstances, maybe because of some relational challenges or difficulties, but, but you feel lonely. And, and we can all find ourselves, when hardship hits, finding ourselves uh, lonely. When you feel lonely, remember, God is there. Look what it says in verse 17 of Psalm 102. It says, He, God, regards the prayer of the destitute, does not despise their prayer. So when we find ourselves in a in a state of loneliness, it's good to remember, hey, God's there. He, he, listen to me. God is just one prayer away. You ever someone that's gone through suffering and they say, where is God? You ever heard somebody say that before? Have you ever heard that? Where is God? He's just one prayer away. Right there with you. The Bible says that he's with us to the end of the age. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Right? He's right there with it. His presence. Uh, Psalm 23, Psalm of David. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? You are with me. So you and I need to be reminded that even if we feel lonely, even if we feel let down by other folks, God is there. He's just one prayer away. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And it takes, listen to this, it takes spiritual maturity... To, to practice the presence of God. An old monk years ago, hundreds of years ago, named Brother Lawrence wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. And his point in that book is, even in the menial tasks of monkhood, or whatever they call it, of being a monk, right? Uh, even in the menial tasks of, of, of uh, serving and cooking and cleaning dishes, which is what he did, he worked in the kitchen, he said, I try to remember that God is with me. And I try to, to keep that on the forefront of my mind and heart. How important is that when you find yourself suffering? When you find yourself feeling lonely? Isn't it, isn't it good to be reminded that the one who is most important is with you? You ever heard the phrase of, a good friend is someone who comes walking in when everyone else is walking out. Can I tell you this? When everyone else is walking out, God's right there with you in the room. He'll never walk out. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And so, remember the big picture. My, my, my earthly life is temporary, but he's eternal. I am lonely, the psalmist says, but, he, but he's there. He's there. Here's a third perspective that you and I need to have in, in hardship. I am weak, but he is strong. Verse 5. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. He's feeling his 
human frailty. And look what it says in verse 16. For the Lord builds up Zion. He, he, he comes to Zion's rescue. He builds up. He, he appears in his glory. So the psalmist here is saying, I, I'm weak, but God is the one who builds. God is the one who is strong. God is the one who rescues. God is the one who delivers. God is the one who restores. God is the one who preserves. Even though the psalmist felt very, very weak, he knew he had a strong God. I love what James Montgomery Boyce writes. Sickness forced him to a sharp realization of his frailty. You know, sickness will do that to you, won't it? Kicking along, everything's good, and all of a sudden, something happens, and you realize just how frail you really are, and, and just how uncertain this, this life is on this earth. Sickness forced him to a sharp realization of his frailty, but in his weaknesses, he turned to God, who is not weak, and he found a refuge. I like that. When you feel weak, turn to God, and you'll find out God's not weak. God is strong. Hey, and maybe sometimes God allows sickness to remind us of that, amen? To kind of kind of uh, humble us a little bit, and remind us that, uh, that we are desperately in need of God's strength in our life, that we need Him. So the psalmist says, I am weak, but He is strong. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 12. He said, uh, I'm really weak. I got thorn in my flesh. Uh, but God shows his power through my weakness, and his grace is sufficient. So Paul was, was boasting in his weakness. I'm weak, and that's good, because my strong God works in that weakness and shows his power. I am weak, but he is strong, which is the first line of a hymn. I am weak, but he is strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. Closer walk with thee. Closer walk with thee. That's the song. I trying to remember what song it was. Yeah, closer walk with thee. I am weak, but he is strong. Here's the third big picture perspective, or the fourth big picture perspective that the psalmist has. I am concerned about my local plight. I'm concerned about what's going on in my little corner of the universe. But picture than just your little corner of life, Right? Sometimes we can get so caught up in what's going on in our life that we forget about what God's up to in the world. And look what the psalmist says there in verse 9. I ate ashes like bread and mingled tears with my drink. This is a, a statement of mourning. Ashes were uh, uh, used in mourning. So he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm mourning with ashes and I'm, 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 tears are streaming down my face. Uh, he, I'm mourning because of his plight, because of the situation. But look what he says about God in verse 15. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. So, yes, this is going on in my life, but God is, is still on the move, and God has a, a bigger, greater, global purpose that extends to the nations. And it's, just, it's, just, it's, it's important to remember that, listen to this, and it's, it kind of sounds different from what I've been telling you already, but this is important to remember. When you're going through hardship, it, it's not just about you. It's not just about you. Yes, God cares about you, and God will come to your rescue and show His strength and His concern. But remember, God is a, is a global God, and He wants you to have that same global perspective and not get so caught up in just your little corner of life and 
living. His concern extends to the nations. God is working in such a way, the Bible says, this is the story of the Bible, God is working in such a way uh, through the, the, the building of the nation of Israel, the preservation of the nation of Israel, through the sending of his Messiah through Israel, Jesus Christ, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Uh, he's working in such a way that when people place their faith in Christ, they are saved, brought into his kingdom, and one day God is going to gather all of his uh, his family, all those who are born-again believers, and they'll gather around the throne, worshiping the Lamb who was slain. And the Bible says around his throne, there will be people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. God is a global God. He's up to something big. Amen? So listen, don't get caught up in your individual hardship to the point where you miss out on what God's doing in the world. Does that make sense? Don't lose perspective. Don't get a case of the woe is me's and miss out on being a part of God's mission and purpose in this world. I'm concerned about my local plight, but his concern extends to the nations. I've seen people, and here's how it applies. I've seen people, and um, they'll go through something hard, and you know what they'll do? They'll stop coming to church, and they'll stop serving the Lord. which is the worst thing you can do when you're going through hardship. It's not a time to walk away from church and walk away. It's time to run to church and keep serving the Lord uh, so you can stay uh, connected with Him and in fellowship with Him no matter what you're going through. So, Psalm says, I'm concerned about my local, local plight, but His concern extends to the nations. Next, next big picture thing, I am despised, the psalmist says, but He cares. I'm despised, but God cares. Look what it says in verse 8. All the day my enemies taunt me. Maybe talking about the Babylonians that lived in that area. All the days my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. So he's surrounded by people who are antagonistic. He feels their, their um, displeasure. He feels... Uh, um, mistreated by them. But look what he says in verse 17. He, God, regards the prayer of the destitute. And so even though I'm, even though I'm surrounded by enemies, God regards me. I, I am uh, despised by others, but He cares. And it's so important to remember, when people let you down, God hasn't. When it feels like no one cares, God does. That's what this, ver this psalm reminds us of. Now, this is a great quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He writes, When great kings are building their palaces, it is not reasonable to expect them to turn aside and listen to every beggar who pleads with them. We would agree with that, that metaphor, right? If a great king is in a great building project, the beggar doesn't walk up and say, Hey, king, I need some bread, right? You don't trouble the king with a beggar when they're doing a great work for the kingdom. But look what he writes. Yet, when the Lord builds up Zion, he's, that's his purpose in this psalm, saying, God, would you rebuild Zion? Would you rebuild your city and, and your people? When the Lord builds up Zion and appears in his robes of glory, he makes a point of listening to every petition of the poor and needy. I love that. He will not treat their pleas with contempt. He will incline his ear to hear, his heart to consider, and his hand to help. 
What comfort is here for those who account themselves to be utterly destitute? Their abject want is here met with the most condescending promise. It is worthwhile to be destitute, to be thus assured of the divine regard. In other words, Sir Spurgeon's saying, it's good to be needy so that you can experience the king of kings paying attention to you. That's what he's saying. And so earthly kings would not give the time of day to an earthly beggar, but the king of kings, our great God, hears us when we have need. Isn't that awesome? It's good news. So I am despised, but he cares. Next. I will soon be gone, but God will be faithful to the next generation. Look what he says in verse 11. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Life is short, right? We're a day closer to our death than we were yesterday. But look what he says in verse 18. Let this, God's power, God's faithfulness, God's purposes, let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height, from heaven the Lord looked at the earth, hear the groans of the prisoners, set free those who were doomed to die. Here's what the psalmist is saying. This is really, really good. The psalmist is saying, life is short, but God's faithful. And even when I'm no longer around, God's going to still be faithful to the next generation. And then the next generation. And then the next generation. One of the great things about our God is... He can be counted on. And not just in our own individual lives, but our kids can count on Him too, can't they? And our grandkids can count on Him too. So, so when we pass on the knowledge of God, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we uh, call out to our kids and grandkids to follow Him and live for Him and, 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 and live for His glory, we can do that with confidence knowing that the God who's faith, faithful to us will also be faithful to them. Isn't that good? We can have that confidence. So the psalmist is saying, I'm, I'm not going to be around much longer, I don't think. Life is short, but God will just keep on keeping on. He will continue to be faithful. He'll continue to be strong to the next generation. I will soon be gone, but, he, but God will be faithful to the next generation. Listen to me. We're losing the next generation. You know, know that, don't you? My generation is um, Generation X, and... Pew Research did a, a study a few years ago, and uh, my generation, about 25%, one in four, identify as religious nuns. means they have no religious affiliation, okay? This is not even talking about evangelical or any of that. Just people that 25% saying, I don't have any religious affiliation. Now, the next generation behind my generation is the millennials. That's basically folks born between 1980 and the year 2000. The percent of millennials that have no religious affiliation is about 35%. So that number of religiously unaffiliated is going up. And if things continue on their current trajectory, the next generation, which is I think they call it the Generation Z, the next generation, that number is going to be even higher. And the percentage of those who are evangelical Christians, born-again Christians who believe that Jesus is the way to be saved and, and hold to the authority of God's Word, that percentage, baby boomers on down, it goes down with each generation. 
So we're losing ground. And yet our God's faithful, isn't he? He'll be faithful, faithful to the next generation, but we need to tell the next generation about our faithful God. We need to tell them about Christ so they can follow him and experience him the way that we have. I will soon be gone, but God will be faithful to the next generation. Next, we are in bondage, but he sets us free. Again, we think this is probably, and I say we, I mean the scholars, and I'm just, I threw myself in there like, we, we believe that, uh, we scholars believe that, uh, Anyway, no, the scholars believe here uh, that uh, this is probably uh, dealing with the Babylonian captivity. So they're, they're taken away from their homeland. They're in bondage. They're, many of them are slaves, held in captivity. And, uh, and the, the psalmist is feeling that. Look in verse 13. He's saying, you will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. So, so Lord, I believe this time's coming to an end. Where you're going to bring your people out of captivity, bring them back to their homeland. And look what uh, the psalmist says in verse 19. It says, Let it be recorded for generation to come that he, God, looked down from his holy height, from heaven the Lord looked at the earth, to hear the groans of the prisoners, probably again in context, the people of Israel, to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise, when peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. So he's saying, uh, we believe God's going to bring us back home, bring us out of captivity, replant us in Jerusalem and Judah, and, and bless his people once again so that we can declare his name and all the kingdoms one day will gather to worship him. And so the psalmist here is saying, hey, we're in bondage, but God sets us free. He's the one who gives freedom. And this is a consistent theme throughout scripture it's a consistent theme in galatians if you've been uh in the galatians series it's it's all about freedom in christ living out your freedom uh in in christ and, and all that that means uh but it's good to know that god cares about setting folks free it's like he cares about setting the the, the the jews free in babylonian captivity he cares about setting people free there's a messianic uh, promise in Isaiah that Jesus repeats in Luke 4 and applies to himself that says the Messiah would come to set the captives free. Spiritually speaking, he came to set people who are in bondage free. Now, now if, if that's a spiritual statement, if he's talking about spiritual freedom and spiritual bondage, what, what are people in bondage to that they need to be set free from? Talk to me. What? Sin, right? What else? Yeah, bad habits ingrained because of our sin nature. What else? Yeah, the, the grip of the world. Yeah, where we are uh, bombarded with an ungodly message and worldview and way of thinking. And, and it's, it's, even though we don't think it, it may be there, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's in our heart and mind. We become desensitized. That's right. World, flesh, the devil. Satan keeps us in bondage, right? Uh, apart from Christ, uh, he has us right where he wants us. Uh, in fact, Jesus said over in John 8, preaching to the religious leaders, he said, you think you're sons of Abraham? He said, really, you're sons of the devil. That'll clear out a congregation, won't it? 
They may not come back and hear him preach again, say stuff like that. We're in bondage apart from Christ, bondage to sin, to the ungodly message of this world, to Satan, to self, bondage to self. And the Messiah, Jesus Christ, came to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He rose from the dead to defeat death itself so that if we believe in him as our personal Lord and Savior, the Bible says in Romans 6 that it's as if we die with him. Just like he died on the cross, we die with him so that we can be set free from our bondage to sin, self, Satan, the world. Jesus sets us free. John 8 says that uh, if you know the truth, the truth will what? Set you free. And so uh, the psalmist here is saying, I'm in bondage, we're in captivity, but God, I believe you're going to set your people free. And isn't it good to know that God likes to do that? God loves to set captives free. We are in bondage, but he sets us free. Which leads to the last big picture perspective that you and I need to have. My earthly life is temporary, but he is eternal. I'm lonely, but he is there. I'm weak, but he is strong. I'm concerned about my local plight, but his concern extends to the nations. I'm despised, but he cares. I will soon be gone, but God will be faithful to the next generation. We are in bondage, but he sets us free. And then last, life is hard, but my eternity is certain because of Jesus. Life is hard, but my eternity is certain because of Jesus. Look what it says there in Psalm 104, verse 23. I'm sorry, 102. 102. I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. Psalm 102, verse 23. The psalmist says, He has broken my strength in mid-course. He shortened my days. The psalmist says, I'm suffering. I don't think I have long to live. Oh, my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth. And this is the psalmist talking to God. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servant shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. So he's saying, hey, my life's passing away. The heavens and earth one day will pass away, but there'll be a new heavens, new earth that you will establish, and those that are your children will be safe and secure forever. Now here's what's interesting. That passage, verses 25 through 27, that passage is applied, listen to this, to Jesus Christ himself. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 1. I want to show you this. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10. Back up to verse 8 so you can establish the context. But of the Son, he says, and he goes back to the Word of God, the Old Testament, about what the Bible says, what the Lord says about his Son, who's Jesus Christ. You see that in Hebrews 1, verse 10. He says, and here's what God says about his Son. And he quotes, guess what? Psalm 102. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. So that 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 statement about the Lord, the end of Psalm 102 is applied to Jesus Christ himself, who is God. So here's the point. If you and I have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, our personal Lord and Savior, we've placed our faith in the hands of the one 
who holds everything. And the one who will one day usher in a new heavens and a new earth. And the one who will keep his children safe. Those who have believed in him. Those who have placed their faith in him. So in effect, the psalmist is saying, life is hard, but my eternity is certain because of Jesus. Life is hard. It's temporary. It's it's like a vapor. It's uncertain. So does that make eternity look all the more appealing? If this life was all that we had, we'd be miserable, wouldn't we? It would seem senseless and meaningless if this life was all that there was. But the Bible teaches that in Christ, our eternity is secure. And, and, and no matter what point we step out of this life, we're Christians, we step into the presence of God. And we'll be there forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And so that eternal security really helps us to keep this temporary life in perspective, doesn't it? Hardship, affliction, yes, life can be very, very hard, but guess what? It's, it's not going to last forever. I have eternity in my future. Let me show you where Paul says this. It's a really great passage. Turn to Romans 8 with me. Romans chapter 8, and we'll be through. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth even comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. What's Paul saying here? He's saying, life is hard, we're groaning, the creation is cursed, it's groaning. And those who know Christ, the creation itself is looking forward to the day when Christ will return and make everything new and establish a new heavens and new earth and bring his people to that new heavens and new earth. And we get to live there forever and ever and ever and ever, as it says in this passage, in our new bodies. So yes, life is really, really hard. And, and let me just tell you this, since, we're, since I've been a, such an encourager today, uh, there's no guarantee it's going to get better in the here and now. You may get through one hardship, but you'll probably face some more. I heard one preacher say that we're either coming out of a storm, in the middle of a storm, or going into a storm, right? That's pretty much this life. And that'd be depressing if it were not for eternity. Heaven, we get to go there one day. We get new bodies. There'll be a new heavens, a new earth. We get to be with Jesus forever and ever. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Jesus making all things new. So yeah, life's hard, but man, it doesn't even compare with eternity, does it? It's just a, just a quick blip 
compared to eternity in heaven with Jesus. So you and I need to keep that perspective, that eternal perspective, that, that when the dust settles on this life of hardship and affliction, we have heaven to look forward to. And that's really, really good news. Now again, this promise is not for everybody. This is for those that know Jesus. Only those that know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior will go to heaven when they die. Those that don't, the Bible says, will be cast into an eternal lake of fire. And so, if you want to have this kind of perspective that you can look forward to eternity, you need to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If you don't, you need to get that nailed down tonight. You need to find a quiet moment, and, and in the quietness of your heart, you need to cry out to God and say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you're my only hope. Would you save me? Would you come to my life and forgive me and, and, and save me and set me free? And he'll do that. And you can have the same hope that the psalmist exhibits here in Psalm 102. So in this psalm, we see passionate prayer, but also a proper perspective. No matter what you're going through, you need both. Passionate prayer and proper perspective, and that'll help you to keep on keeping on even through the valleys of life.